Defend us, O Lord, with your spirit, the spirit that promises eternal life. Help our worries flee away, fearing not what others say. Strengthen us both night and day to live our lives as pilgrims. Amen. A few years ago, I went to a gathering of clergy, and the guest preacher started his sermon by saying, I was told once by a wise priest that every Sunday sermon needs to combine two things, the newspaper and the Bible. The newspaper and the Bible. And he went on to preach a fairly good sermon that seemed to please us all, but what it was about, I have no idea and don't remember. So if, if a preacher were to follow that line of thought, combining the newspaper with the Bible, you might get this story as a takeaway for this week. Twelve people gathered together in a large room to debate amongst each other about which one of them was the greatest among them all. <laughs> the greatest in the United States instead of on a road walking, this time on national television. Jesus walks in, asks them what they're arguing about. Silence. They're dumbfounded. And Jesus realizes that they're arguing over which one of them is the best. He's disappointed. And so Jesus goes out and finds a boy named Ahmed from Texas and puts him front and center and says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me not, welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Well, there it is. <laughs> now, granted, I am telling this story only if a preacher would go there. I'm not entirely sure that would be wise because the gospel of Jesus Christ is bigger than any of this. But did you feel surprised or shocked? Maybe empowered or maybe enraged? If you did, that's the beauty of the capital G gospel that Jesus is preaching to his disciples. It's supposed to rattle us. But Jesus' gospel is more than a trivial retelling of weekly events from the paper infused with the Bible. Much more. The news is ephemeral. Here today, gone tomorrow. The gospel goes on forever. We see the disciples' silence in the gospel that Jesus is again disappointed in the recognition that they're not getting it. They don't ever really seem to get it much in Mark. But they don't understand what he's talking about when he says that the kingdom of God has come in, come near. And so he has to rattle their cage, this time by finding a child and using a child as the example. Because in the culture of Jesus' day, it was a mixed bag when it came to children. If you were wealthy... 
Your children were heirs of your wealth and something to be proud of. They would be protected and nourished and educated and then presented to society. But if you were poor, and most people in those days were poor, your children at times were a burden and troublesome, and people regarded them as another mouth to feed, and sadly many children were abandoned, left on their own, discarded as worthless. Tragic. We don't know what the preconceived notions of the disciples were regarding children, but since we know a lot about their socioeconomic backgrounds, they probably didn't have too high of a view of children. So Jesus uses an example over their argument of who is the greatest among them. He uses this as an in-your-face correction of every preconceived notion of what the disciples actually think greatness is. It's a wake-up call to them. The kingdom of God is actually here right now at hand. You need to look differently, think differently, perceive differently. For God's sake, disciples, wake up. That simple action of the disciples arguing something so petty, who was the greatest among them, was precisely the behavior Jesus was trying to call them out on. Upon reflecting on this, researcher and author Brene Brown would classify that Jesus was calling out the disciples on a behavior that she calls numbing. And we do it too. Numbing is a technique that human beings use to act as a shield. We practice things to numb ourselves from our reality. We hide from our own vulnerability, from things that trouble us by doing all sorts of things that aren't particularly good for us. Brown has done all kinds of research through her uh, grounded theory, which is based on storytelling. And in those storytelling, she has concluded in several books that we are the most obese, in debt, addicted, and medicated cohort of people in all of human history. And we're doing this because we're anxious. We're anxious and we need to hide from our vulnerability. We're not being fully present to ourselves and so we're numbing ourselves. We're clothing ourselves with anxiety instead of the armor of God's love. And we're avoiding things or we're simply trying not to remember them and trying hard not to remember them. The disciples today are numbing themselves in their argument because they decided to follow Jesus as a lifelong journey. Jesus called them and in Mark's gospel, they follow immediately, immediately. And Jesus just told them that he's going to be killed. They're feeling vulnerable. Maybe Jesus' lessons about the kingdom of God are too much. So they withdraw and argue and bicker and start focusing on things that are not the things of God, completely counter to Christ's message, all sorts of stuff. And so Jesus invites them back into reality by confronting them with a child. 
probably a poor Bedouin child that they walked by dozens of times on their way when they were walking to Capernaum. Kids that were sent by their parents to the walking trail to beg for food or money. Or maybe the kids went there on their own just for recognition that they even existed. Welcoming these kids into God's family actually welcomes Jesus and in turn welcomes God in his very presence. Is this confrontational? Yes. But it helped the disciples learn. Learned that they were numbing their reality of life with Jesus by making themselves distracted. And what resulted from their distraction? Fear, shame, embarrassment. This isn't the life that Jesus wants for them. It's not the life that Jesus wants for us either. Think about what a child can actually represent. New life, new potential, a new way to learn, opening up a new world that hasn't even existed yet, a future. The opening of the kingdom of God opens doors for us to live fully, wholeheartedly, without shame or fear or needing to hide. So where are the barriers for you opening the doors to the kingdom of God? What are you using right now or this day or this time in your life? What are you using for numbing? Many of us are news junkies or we, we like to watch lots of television or we like all sorts of media. So if I ask people to raise their hands when I ask things like, how many of you have read a newspaper in the past week? Or a news magazine? Or read Facebook? Or seen CSI or Law and Order or NCIS or one of those crime shows on TV? Or if you watch the local news? we'd start thinking about it and recognizing that we have exposed ourselves willingly to see all sorts of violent and graphic images and then just file them away in our memory. Are we changed by any of them? We'd like to think that we're not, but we probably practice some form of numbing as a result. The reality is, is that we're biologically wired to be disturbed when we see something disturbing. But we numb ourselves from keeping us from seeing how we're actually connected to our neighbor or connected to people in other parts of the world or connected to people who are very different from ourselves. Which is why when we see refugees fleeing from various countries, we have very mixed reactions. A lot of uncertainty, but at times fear or anger or concern. Or we just don't want to think about it at all. We'd rather pretend it doesn't exist. But the most human of all responses that we've had were the reactions that many people had to that photo of the child on the beach in Turkey, the poor little boy that didn't make it. I'm sure many of us saw this. It was all over the media about two weeks ago. Heartbreaking. 
such loss for an innocent child. And this is where our gospel starts ringing true, in a way much more significant than that trivial made-up newspaper Bible merge that I said at the beginning. Seeing such loss and pain is an invitation to draw closer to the heart of Jesus, to the kingdom of God, and to ask Christ to give you a new lens to focus on what really matters in the human experience. I'm not asking us to invite Christ in so that we can get political. That's too ephemeral. Politics change all the time. The gospel of Jesus is something that goes on forever. And so we invite Christ to help us study, learn, reflect, focus on the things of God so that we can be partners with Jesus in renewing the face of the earth, ushering in the kingdom of God, a pure gift that God gives humanity. And at the same time, when we focus on things that are spiritual, we also begin to identify those ways in which we're numbing ourselves, that we're setting up barriers, removing ourselves from actually relating to one another, creating all sorts of walls and barriers in our relationships that we have with ourselves, our relationships that we have with one another, and our relationship that we have with God. In some ways, Jesus is giving us permission to get a do-over. He's giving us an opportunity for new learning, just like the learning of a child to be able to see with new eyes, to hear with new ears, and to grow new hearts of love that help us address the challenges of our day. Not with the strategy of slogans or rules or debates, but with a unified and unending presence of love. How do you, how do you get out of your routine this week? Get rid of some of the ways in which you're setting up walls and numbing your surroundings. And take on a new way to love and walk with Jesus in the kingdom of God that he sets before you.